Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I don't know if I can do uh, 15 more weeks of sad Lions openings anymore. Like, I, I just don't think that's sustainable. I have an alternative. No. <laughs> Look, there's actually, I think, there's some YouTube commenters lately who are like, there was a bet you guys made a while back who where uh, you said if Brad talks about the Bills or something, he has to wear his pants on his head for a full episode. There's something that you w- promised you'd wear your pants on your head. And uh, I keep forgetting to bring it up to you. And then the comments are just like pants. <laughs> it's just one word, just pants, because you haven't worn your pants on your head yet. So just know the more you talk about the Bills, the more you rile that crowd up, because you owe them. Um, a- I have no recollection of making this, but if I get to talk about Josh Allen for the next hour and a half, I will put every pair of pants I own on my head. My biggest shame in life is that one of the other podcast hosts has such a ugly, like, stained glass window fandom of other sports like it's detroit and then like toronto toronto buffalo Ugh. it's good for perspective because before this time i somehow managed to be more miserable than the average detroit sports fan and it's turned around for me in some areas so for detroit sports m- maybe there's like not the Lions, definitely not the Lions. But, <laughs> it's never the Lions. But the the Red Wings are are could be good in a couple of years. They have some prospects. The Tigers could be good in a couple of years. They have some prospects. Like there's hope there. The Pistons are the Minnesota Wild of the NBA. So you know, cautious optimism, but probably just going to be a fringe playoff team for a while. And then yeah, and then the Lions are there. So as long as football is not your favorite sport, there's reason to be. I meant they're there like physically in Detroit, not in terms of being good anytime soon. I was going to say, are they even there? Like, are they even there physically? Uh, It's maybe it's hard to say, really, based on how easily the ball moves towards their end zone. It was 14-3 today and Mel walked in and she goes, hey, your team's winning and uh, they're winning against a good team. And I looked at her and I went, have you learned nothing? Have you learned nothing? Well, like she left, she came back, and I was like, hey, remember when it was 14-3? She's like, yeah, I was like, it's 30-14 to 14 now. She's like, oh, well, you celebrate the successes while you have them. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, not for this long. Yeah, this is what I'm trying to do, Ryan, because this might be the only point in my entire life where I can say Josh Allen leads the NFL in passing yards. Do you have friends who are Bills fans? Many. Like, it's the one team I cheer for where, like, the majority of my friends fall in line. Look, man. Me, Evan, even though he doesn't care about football, and most of our listeners are sad Lions fans, so spare us, lest we die. And then if I die, you know it's just you and Evan every podcast, and are you willing to put up with that? Don't answer that, actually. (laughs) Evan, how's your weekend? It was a lot of golf, as you could expect, (laughs) both physically and also physically sitting on my couch watching the U.S. Open. How do you feel about Bryson? He's the second worst person that I, at least person I wanted to win, but um, he's the not the first as big worst. Man. Blew it, so it makes you feel better about it. Yeah, when it was Patrick Reed and Bryson one two after the in the after the second round, I was basically saying I will take anyone. I will let John Daly could could come out there and I'd be cheering for him. Yeah, well. 
John but, Daly's just out there crushing crushing beers and swinging, like taking tee shots out of his friends' mouths. So yeah, that got to be fun. I feel like I need to to be clear here, though. If if there's a field of 400 golfers, including Tiger Woods and Arnold Palmer and John Daly's in the 400, I'm cheering for John Daly. I want him hitting the teeing off off beer cans. I want him shotgunning a Mickey before every putt, and I would very much like to see him go all four rounds, wire to wire. It was a really cool tournament to watch. Like it was like five inch deep rough. Like the greens were insane. Like I've never seen greens roll this way. And Bryson played the best. He deserved to win. Well, uh, thankfully for um, everyone, we do have hockey content to talk about this episode. So we are going to pivot back to that. So uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast, promising you uh, that we we do talk about hockey on this show. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco, and I promise nothing. And I'm Evan. Evan also promises nothing, but that comes implicit in his contract as a podcast host. I've actually right. never heard or received a promise from Evan in any capacity in my entire more than half a decade of knowing him. So when you get a promise, you know it's the real deal. Yeah, well, I'll wait for that. <laughs> He's going to come over in a sketchy looking truck, bang on your door, all ruffled with a shovel in hand, and then he'll be willing to make a promise. Exactly. <laughs> when we decide on a time for the show, uh, Brad's like nine. I'm like, yeah, nine's good for me. And Evan goes, yeah, nine sounds like it's good for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see much. if I'm there. Pretty much. <laughs> on this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, the Stanley Cup finals or Stanley Cup final, I guess. Um, some goings on around the league in terms of free agency, some relevant to Detroit, some not. Uh, updates about Red Wings prospects and players playing abroad in Europe. Some awful news, some great news. And then we are going to be doing this week's prospect profile. So, or this episode's prospect profile. So, first, the Dallas train has not stopped. 1-0 against the favorites, I guess favorites, Tampa Bay Lightning. Well, they have home ice advantage. So, yeah, they're the favorites. Air quotations. Yeah. Do you think they, they just play the, the crowd noise a little bit louder when it's the Tampa Bay fans cheering? <laughs> no, the refs are just a little more biased. Ah, uh, okay. Just the, they, they get the, the zebras just 20% more on their side. Um, How many of us would have been sitting here and believed that the Dallas Stars would be up one nothing in the Stanley Cup final and their goal scorers would be Joel Hanley, Jamie Alexiak, Yoel Kivaranta, and Jason Dickinson. If we told you this in January. The usual suspects, you know, just the guys you expect to turn up in the Stanley Cup finals. Yeah. Uh, Yoel Kivaranta, who was a mediocre points producer in the Liga last year, I think he was like 0.6 something points per game. Jamie Alexiak, who has the offensive touch of Ryan, noted defenseman. Joel Hanley's first NHL goal and Jason Dickinson's first goal of the playoffs. Just like we all expected. And this is all while being backstopped by a Russian beer leaguer who is only in here because I'm pretty sure he made some kind of blood packed with Jim Nil. Rick Bonus deserves so much credit. It's a lot of um uh Dan Bilesma in his first year coaching Pittsburgh vibes because when he replaced Tarion, was it? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And then obviously went on. We know who they beat in 09. We don't have to talk about that anymore. But like no, that don't. team, that team is just coming through every single game. It doesn't matter if they're the more favorite team offensively or defensively or how good Vasilevsky is playing or how good whoever their opponent's playing. Like they are just showing up as a team every single night so much credit to that coach for being able to do it you went this is the same team where the ceo called their two best players horseshit or saying they were playing like horseshit or whatever it was to now odds on favorite to win to lift the cup and they they lost their head coach midseason because of an incident that nobody will say publicly so god knows what it is and we're sitting here what 21 games into the stars playoff run and tyler sagan has eight points yeah it's not just that like the stars aren't as improbable a cup winner as people are making them out to be but the fact they're doing it with tyler sagan their probably best offensive player having eight points as they're in the cup final is probably the most improbable thing of this all Joel kivarenta is uh, who's the comparison? I mean, the Oilers didn't win the cup in 06, but remember when Fernando Pisani went like God mode? This is what that feels like. It's like, how? Why? We know we're going to forget you next year, but we'll never forget you because of this. It's it's unbelievable. For I will never forget how Fernando Pisani just turned it on. Like him and his ginger, he had the ginger beard, right? Yeah. Yeah, like just... I remember looking him up after he started scoring all those goals and I was like, I, this is, this guy doesn't do this. Like, this is not his game at all, but just turn into a playoff freak. Yeah. A, a lot of the same kind of feel there. It'll be a good series. I mean, I, I hope it just doesn't turn into like Tampa's frustrated by them and they can't get past them just like last year with Columbus. But I don't know. I, I still stand by the fact that this year's Tampa team seems different. I mean, they made it this far at least. So without Stamkos, we'll without Stamkos, it's, but this is this is what wins though. Dallas is a very, very strong defensive team. And on one hand, you almost gotta feel bad for Tampa because they're running into all the defensive stalwarts in these playoffs. They had to go through Columbus, one of the best defensive systems in the league. Islanders, probably the best defensive system in the league. The Stars, one of the best defensive systems in the league. Boston, like Boston was probably the worst defensive team they played. Think about that. Tampa's just got to be sick of it. They're like, please, please just give us like, who, who would be a good offensive team that they could have played in the cup finals here? Because that's all they would have wanted. Please give us Vegas. Mm-hmm. Please Oilers. give us Vancouver. The, uh, well, I don't know. Like, I think they probably would still have been asking for Dallas, right? Like, I don't know. You go into the Stanley Cup finals asking for Vegas. Oh, I'm just saying from a stylistic standpoint, Tampa does way better with run and gun hockey because they're yeah. loaded with talent. Tampa themselves are good defense, a good defensive team, but they have that skill set to do both very well, which is what other teams don't have. So when most teams employ the defensive shutdown strategy, which is the most prevalent in the NHL now to varying degrees of success, if they get a team that plays the opposite, they'll know how to exploit it because the other team won't be able to keep up with them. That's just the reality of it. And their defense will shine through because not everybody has a Victor Hedman or a Ryan McDonough on their team and Tampa has both. So, I mean, 
it's it's been a worst case scenario playoffs for Tampa in terms of getting to the Cup Finals and in regards to who they've had to get through to get there. It's if it wasn't sad, it would be funny about how every year Tampa goes on a run, they do it with just like a an injury that would absolutely paralyze other teams because this isn't even the first time Stamkos has been hurt when they went on a deep cup run. Uh, their starting goalie got injured when they made the finals. Uh, it's just they find new and creative ways to get injured to not win the Stanley Cup. They should have three by now uh, in the last, what, six years? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and they're running into the what feels like the team of destiny right now that just, again, Hanley, Alexiak, and Kivaranta were the three goal scorers before the empty net. Like, you can't make this up. There's... As much as we say, and myself specifically, this is a superstar-driven league, and it is, in situations like this, your depth can make a difference, and Dallas is. I mean, not to say that Hudobin's not playing like a superstar. Miro Haskinen's definitely playing like a superstar. That's it. It's just winning by committee with the stars at this point, because the rest of their superstars aren't really playing like superstars. I would say Jamie Benn has been playing, you know, I wouldn't say out of his mind, but I'd say he's very, very competent right now. He's almost got a point per game, and he plays a very hard physical style of game that that wears other teams' uh, top players down. I've liked his game a lot, um, and he's kind of been driving his line, but it's, it's not uh, at a level where, like, oh, my God, this guy's just out of this world right now. But I, I think he's been very adequate um given his sort of stardom level yeah he's he's been terrific but he hasn't been a nikita kucherov or a brain point level of good in these playoffs but he's been good he's been you don't have to be when everybody everybody's scoring yeah exactly and and that's the thing with tampa they're not getting that when you look at their stat sheets most nights it's headman it's point it's kucherov it's palat's had a really good playoffs but you're not seeing a ton from the Alex Kalorns and the Tyler Johnsons and the Cedric Pockets of their team. And in game one, that was that was literally the difference. Yanni You're not Gord got seeing one for- a lot of the from the Tyler Sagans either. But that this is exactly what happened in game one. Tampa's big line got nothing. Their one goal came from Yanni Gord, and it was a very fluky goal. And Dallas got nothing from their big guys. So the the top sixes of both teams neutralized each other. It was Dallas's depth that won game one. And well, Hudobin, obviously. Let's hope that either Tampa Bay wins and we get to obviously co-opt that win into some kind of Red Wings happiness and say that's the team Eisman built. I don't care whether you say that's valid or not. Or Dallas wins and we get to hope that uh, they fire John Cooper and Eisman brings over John Cooper and then they also we also find a way to extract Palat or Johnson or Paquette from, Paquette from them. Win-win here for Red Wings fans. You're happy no exactly. matter what. Um, moving on to some uh, free agent news around the league. But actually, first, uh, we're doing this thing right now called a rum pot where you just pour like a the, some dark rum, like the worst dark rum you have because it doesn't matter, in like the ceramic pot with a bunch of fruit. And you leave it there from like literally like April until the holidays. And this it's terrifies just, me. Yeah, this is it's not good. sounding appetizing at all. I've tried it before. It's really good. And obviously ours will be ready soon. But I just use that same dark rum just to make like a 
quick drink here. Oh, geez. I poured way too much of this. I'm struggling. I just so want to share with you guys. Fruit, do you like swap the fruit out or do, do you just let the fruit go bad? It doesn't go bad. It's sitting in like high proof alcohol. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think. don't know how that I don't works. know. I might be missing steps. Mel might be doing more stuff while I'm not looking. Anyhow, uh, free agency news. Alex Petrangelo. Is not pulled- coming to Detroit. No, yeah. Yeah, I think that goes without saying. People in my timeline seem to think so. Uh, he's been told by St. Louis to explore free agency. So if you want to know what a uh, COVID cap world looks like, it means St. Louis telling their top end or their number one free agent priority to explore free agency because they, well, I mean, they're up against the cap as well, I believe. So um, they're not exactly swimming in money. Well, 5 million. Yeah. They, they have some moves to make and Petrangelo is going to demand a, a high dollar value here. So, well, they have five mil, but that's before they sign a bunch of RFAs and uh, most notably Vince Dunn, who's going to probably take up most of that five million himself. Vince Dunn's the only RFA. Is he? Well, he's going to cost year, three yeah. to four million. So, yeah. It's, and from every report that's come out, it sounds like St. Louis and Petrangelo are not even close they're about two million dollars away on aav there was some report that came out about st louis is like here's our our what we're willing to offer you please don't review it and sign it yeah that was funny don't look at the structure just agree to it yeah so i assume no signing bonuses no trade protection none of that stuff just here you go uh here's less money than you wanted and we're going to control everything and obviously a player of petrangelo's age and his stature and you know I'm, he's got a family he he wants stability i he's probably angling hard for a no move or a no trade clause and st louis is probably not about that but then again i don't think any team should be about that with a 30 year old free agent but yeah and i am super curious because what petrangelo's camp is looking at in all likelihood is roman yossi who signed last summer um, I think Yossi's a touch younger, but very similar players, very similar production, captains of their teams. So from Petrangelo's standpoint, absolutely a fair comparison. And Yossi got over nine million. I mean, I think everybody thought that was close to fair, maybe on the the high side, but not an- anything crazy. But that was in a, a world that wasn't ending. Um, I am when St. Louis says go explore free agency. I legitimately think they're making a calculated bet of him saying of him going and no team offering him dramatically more than St. Louis did. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, well, I don't want to leave St. Louis. So if I'm not getting better than seven and a half to eight million anywhere else, I might as well stay in St. Louis. Yeah. Roman Yossi, I think that deal probably pissed off a lot of GMs, but at the same time, that guy made $4 million forever as well. Right. So even if you think that was coming in a little bit expensive, that that's a guy who went and got paid. Alex Petrangelo won a cup, is 30 years old. This is his last big contract. It's not like he was making pennies before, but he knows what he can get on the market. And even though COVID has destroyed the cap and destroyed players, uh, I don't want to say destroyed, uh, players whose salaries are coming up right now, um, it's ruined a lot of their potential earnings. A lot of them are going to fight against that. They're going to say, no, I'm a good enough free agent where you make it work for me. Pinch somewhere else. I'm not, you know, I'm not squandering two million a year just because 
of something that's completely out of my control. And whether or not you think that's fair, I mean, you can't blame Petrangelo for, for operating that way. But like you said, who's going to do it? Pretty much the question is, how's Toronto going to find a way to pay Petrangelo? <laughs> right. And apparently they're rumored, but that wouldn't... They would have to give up a lot just to be able to get him. And there's not even a trade there. But it, it's funny, too, because in a COVID world, this would be hard, even if St. Louis wanted to do it. But, I mean, St. Louis is a smart organization. They're probably looking and going, yeah, we're not paying a 30-year-old defenseman $9 million into his late 30s. Like That is never a good idea, no matter how good that defenseman is. So I think, obviously, COVID is an excuse for them. But, hey, they got to do what they got to do. Yeah, that Justin Falk contract is really coming back to bite them. That's six and a half mil for eternity. Such a bad deal. It's three million less, and I'm pretty sure Falk's younger. So you can he's not the player Alex Petrangelo is, but that might end up being a better contract in today's world. Now, if Petrangelo ends up settling at like seven and a half somewhere else, then yeah, it absolutely came back to bite St. Louis in the ass. But if Petrangelo's firm on nine million plus they they have at least a little bit of insurance there. I don't really know how St. Louis could make this work. Like they have to subtract a big contract and sign um, Vince Dunn to something reasonable. Like they just don't have the space right now to make it work without a trade. Maybe the Red Wings should try to uh, get Robbie Fabry from them. Uh, we can actually get Jacob Del the Rose, but that's only going to save them 700k. I don't know much oh, no, about you, him though. You get that premier piece, and then you also have to take on a bad contract. Hey, all right, let's be wild here. Justin Falk. Did the Red Wings offer it? No, <laughs> it's a bajillion years. I know, I know. I just went over to Toronto's cap friendly page because I wanted to, like I just wanted to see how they could make this work. And I know, like, I'm one of the biggest preachers of if you're going to overpay, overpay your superstars. But it's just so jarring to see the top three salaries, 11.63, 11, and 10.893. Like, Jesus. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, I don't don't know how St. Louis makes this work without making a trade. And if it sounds like they'll call his bluff i don't know if you even if you took on one of their contracts you'd get a good piece because they've kind of made i hate to say it again but they made they've made peace with potentially losing petrangelo so do you think maybe they're playing such a hardball game with petrangelo here because they looked at what happened to chicago and la and went let's not make those mistakes over again and pay the sweetheart contracts to the guys who got you the cup previously as teams should be doing. Yeah, I mean, when free agency pops around, players aren't loyal, so teams should not feel obligated to be loyal. Nobody in this business should be obligated to be loyal. So if you're looking at it and going, hey, thanks for the cup, we'll always appreciate you for that, go get your money somewhere else because we want to win another cup and paying you $9 million a year will prevent us from doing that. Now, there's always the calculated risk. How big does St. Louis think their window is? If they think Petrangelo could be truly, truly good for another, let's say, four years, which I'm skeptical of, but I could see. And they believe they could get one to two more cups in that window with him, 
And then they understand that the back half of that contract is going to be a disaster. But if you get one more cup out of it, it's absolutely worth it. Then, yeah, you you take that swing. But given that St. Louis bowed out of the first round this year, I don't know how confident in that they're going to be. And most of their key players are not of an age where you think they're going to continue to improve. At this point, this is- most of their roster outside of maybe Pareko and Dunn is... Of the age of, yeah, if they maintain, it's a win. This is why when players take huge, huge discounts, I'm always like, I'm not crying for millionaires, right? Like, I'm not worried that they won't be able to afford the home that they want. I'm talking about value in the market. When players take huge discounts early on, I'm just like, man, GMs are going to wise up because people like Doughty and Seabrook have burned and Keith have burned those bridges for you like you this can only happen so much under the current cap and salary structure and gms are going to get wise to it as they should if i'm a fan of the red wings i'm I'm offering this as a hypothetical even though it's a retrospective into the the ken holland ufa contracts but if you're a fan of a team you do not want your gm signing players who are past or exiting their prime money that should have been assigned to them before that because then when they're old they're going to be worthless and that money is going to be tied up when it sh- you should have been paying a younger version of them. But then you have uh, Nathan McKinnon signed on for like two Happy Meals and a signed puck from Sidney Crosby. And it's just like, man, I get it. I get you want to to build a team that wins. But not every team that wins the cup has like superstars on mega discounts. And it could burn you later. Like if you decide that, yeah, I, I've been underpaid and I want my deal, you never know what's going to happen. Anything from, you know, the, the salary cap is low, the team that you want to sign with doesn't have any room or a freaking pandemic ruined the salary structure in the NHL. I get that, that, that's, that this did end up going to crying for millionaires, but I promise that's not my point. I do have a lot of sympathy for them. We we podcast with one. Evan is worth many billions of dollars. We can only assume. Oh, yes. Yes. If uh, Evan became a millionaire, that would actually be a great financial hit for him. (laughs) (laughs) That means Brad and I finally got sick of it and and held him up at gunpoint. Um, How does one rob someone of stocks at gunpoint? Give me your password and two-step verification code. Can uh, Can you just transfer stocks to people? Is that a thing? Can you send them like an email that says, open this e-gift card and you get 10 Apple stocks? I have no idea. Can you yeah. just like sell your stocks and then transfer us the money? I feel like that'd be far easier and we need yeah. it. Just do that, Evan. That'd be like the slowest robbery in the world. <laughs> this Sorry, robbery is going to take held up two to five days. business days. <laughs> How does one make small talk during a robbery that that's long? Or are you just comfortable with the awkward silence? You go, like after like day one, we're like, all right. We're going to level with you. We trust you. If you want to go pee, we're not going to stand with you anymore. We trust you. <laughs> yeah. But can you please tell your cat to stop screaming at us? <laughs> I can't do that. Um, other free agent news. There's more and more whispers that Edmonton is looking and Ken Holland are looking to walk away from uh, Andres Athanasiu. I know it will never happen because Eisman wasn't a big fan of him and Andreas wasn't exactly happy to leave. But if the Red Wings re-sign him, this is the most galaxy brain best trade the Red Wings have made in like 20 years. 
it already did like f- stumble backwards into being an amazing trade. And I thought it was like a fine one originally. Like I remember our discussions and we were all hoping for more and we had varying degrees of who was happy and who was upset. And I like where I landed was I would have loved to first. I'm not awful. Like I don't feel terrible about two seconds, but yeah, like you said, <laughs> just with how things shook out, how many games he played and what's happening right now in the NHL and the world. Shit, two seconds for for Andre like four games of Andreas Athanasiu is already a steal. So if they get him back, oh, it like is is one thing of Ken Holland's. I, I I'm just coming up with this thought off the top of my head, so I have no thought behind it. So if it comes off as stupid, feel free to call me out on it. Like I know you will. In previous trades, did Ken Holland always acquire players Mike Babcock liked, or did he just pick whoever and then? Babcock completely misplayed them because you're Ken Holland at Edmonton trading for one of the most gifted forwards on the market offensively, but you know, as a defensive liability and you're bringing him into a team where you have a coach who hates everybody that isn't defensively gifted unless they put up over a hundred points. So immediately it took what two games for Athens U to be demoted into the bottom six in Edmonton, despite scoring in his first game with Connor McDavid. How do, how do you misread that? A, Ken Holland had Athanasiu. He knew exactly who he was. Traded for him with a coach who anybody could have guessed would hate him. And then said coach hates him. And then they end up in a cap crunch through no fault, no fault of Ken Holland's. But like, Jesus, is this... <laughs> I feel like he's done this before, but I never paid too much close attention to that. So I can't actually speak to it. It's big Michael Bluth opening a bag that says dead dove do not eat and saying, I don't know what I expected. Like <laughs> you, like you said, it's what Athens U was, was not a mystery. Red Wings fans would have told you the league was watching Athens U for a long time because he was a potential trade target for a long time. Everyone knew who Athens U was. I don't know, like, I I hesitate to add another thing to the pile of here's why I'm criticizing, you know, the last five years of Ken Holland. But like you said, if you're picking up this guy, is there not some kind of phone call to your coach and saying, hey, this guy's not your favorite kind of player, but shit, he'll help out. He'll be viable on Connor's line. He'll be able to, he has the skill to play with him and the speed to keep up. We can spread out the talent in the top six and we might win a series or two here. But no, he he gets demoted because he's not the player that he never was. Ah. Edmonton has been looking for wingers to play with McDavid since McDavid's been drafted. Ken Holland picks up the phone and says, hey, Stevie, I need the 30 goal scoring winger who can actually skate stride for stride with Connor McDavid. How you don't relay that message to your coach is staggering to me. And... I mean, I, I'm a big believer in giving coaches autonomy. I, I hate when GMs meddle with coaching decisions, but this was a decision that the coach and the GM needed to make before the trade was made. Because if Tippett said, well, if this guy can't play defense, I'm not putting him in my top line. I'm not putting him in my top six. And Ken Holland could go, fair enough. Hey, Stevie, sorry, we're going to pass. I mean, that that that's how, like, after the trade, there, Ken Holland's not responsible for any of that. Dave Tippett should be free to do what he wants with that player, but it... it it's insane to me. And now there's a 30 goal scoring winger who's going to be hitting the market and Edmonton's getting nothing in return because they may not be able to qualify him because he's got Arbrights. 
look, I know you like like you mentioned, it's not likely, but I'd be happy. I'd be so happy, even if it's a short term deal, even if it's a one year deal, just to trade him again. I'd be so happy to have him back in Detroit. It would cost the team nothing. It would just add even more value to the insane return that Eisenman got on that trade. It would be relevant again. Yeah, for you can but, unburn yeah. those jerseys. But um, yeah, I I still got a gut feeling it's going to end up being Buffalo, but eh, we'll see. Um, and then finally, and this is going to transition into Red Wings news. Um, the biggest conversation for Red Wings fans today in terms of free agency was uh, the announcement from uh, Elliot Friedman that, um, well, Jimmy Howard himself said that he's not done playing if he can help it, but he doesn't. It doesn't seem likely that he's going back to Detroit, and that's not earth shattering. I mean. Eisman has had some coded talk where he's kind of alluded to the fact that he wasn't interested in bringing back Howard. And now Howard has kind of mentioned the same thing about Detroit. It makes a lot of sense. If I got absolutely shelled behind this team for the better part of a decade with zero support or success to show for it, I'd want to go to, um, he didn't have, he hasn't had a great past couple seasons. Um, there is a pretty significant drop off in his career, quite obviously. Uh, it aligns pretty well with age curves and the fact that nobody can hold up to that kind of sustained pressure with no support. So <laughs> you're not going to find me as one of those people who are going to, you know, rip on Jimmy Howard, but it's the right move moving forward. Like bringing back Jimmy Howard wouldn't do anything for this Red Wings team and it wouldn't do anything for him. So no. And with how strong this goalie market is, did, this is one of the, Areas Detroit should be aggressive this offseason. And they could take two approaches because as good as Jonathan Bernie was last year, he's not young and he's only got one year left on his contract before unrestricted free agency. I mean, if the relationship's good, hopefully the Red Wings bring him back for another two to three years, but they can't, he's a UFA, they can't guarantee that. So if they're looking at the free agent market, they should be looking for a pretty decent succession plan in the two to three to four year range at a reasonable cap hit, or they're looking at a team with a goalie with a bad contract that they could get assets for, but is also good enough to maybe bridge that gap for Detroit, maybe Matt Murray in Pittsburgh, hypothetically. Um, you know, that's why before the other trade happened, we were talking about Jake Allen would make a ton of sense to come to Detroit, but um, even though he's a little shorter term. I, I Jimmy isn't the answer anymore because he's not a succession plan to Bernier. Um, even if he filled in as a backup admirably this year, it wouldn't matter. So I, I think Detroit's got an opportunity here with how saturated the market is to get good value one way or another, whether that's getting a underappreciated goalie for less dollars in free agency or getting an asset to take on a bloated contract from another team. I mean, we laugh about it, but two years of Marc-Andre Fleury wouldn't hurt right now. And with his cap hit, they could probably get something decent with him. Um, no, and conversely, Vegas picking up Howard as a backup wouldn't be a bad idea either. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious. Howard said he's going to play until someone tells him he can't, and based on all the goalies that are going to be available right now, <laughs> that the, might be the rest <laughs> of the NHL might be telling him that very soon, um, as sad as it would be to see him go out that way. But yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a massive goalie carousel this offseason. Detroit's going to be right in the middle of it. And it, I I don't know what way I hope they go, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I want someone asked me earlier, they said, who do you want backing up Bernier? And my answer is someone cheap and someone who can handle mentally playing 30 games behind this Red Wings team this year. Like, I don't I don't want someone 
who's going to break records and drag this team out of the basement. Not because I, I don't want to see the team win. No, of course. I want to see Detroit win, but I just don't think that's realistic. I want someone who can just hold the fort. If we're going to lose, let's lose by two or three and not five or eight, you know? Like, the, those games are depressing. Like, I'm, I keep thinking back to that Minnesota game where they just got absolutely demolished. I think they scored, like, seven goals on us. There's no need for that. It's a big ask still because this team isn't very good offensively or defensively, quite obviously. But I don't have anyone in mind like, yeah, we had dreams of Laner and Kadobin, and now look where those two are or are or were, like, right? So – you're not going to get a, a premier journeyman backup. That that market's kind of dried up. Like Grice out of the island, I'd be happy with. Like someone who's proven that they can find success at a reasonable rate. You're not asking them to start a bunch of games, whatever. And then when Detroit trades Bernier at the deadline, let's say they manage that this year, they, they can step in and close up the season. So on on that topic, because I I haven't had a favorite emerge yet, in terms of who I want the Red Wings to sign, obviously someone younger would be ideal. So I got pretty far down the goalie free agency list to see who I kind of had my eye on for Detroit. So he's coming off a bad year, objectively, but he's pretty young. Um, I think he's 26 or 27. But he had a massive year the year before, so it could have been a fluke year. If I'm Detroit, I'm probably looking at a guy like Laurent Brassois. He's going to come in dirt cheap. Dirt cheap with the market, but... Oh, yeah. He had a bad year this year, but the year before, in 21 games, he put up a 925 save percentage. He had a, an eight-game stretch in Edmonton where he put up a 928, and that's really saying something because he did that in Edmonton. So... Boomer bust, and if he busts, who cares? You're going to get him short term for basically no money. If he hits, hey, problem solved. And I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be the guy that I'm going to marry myself to in free agency for a Red Wings goaltender. But if you don't get a Kudobin or something like that, this is the type of guy you should be eyeing. Yeah. So, and like you said, dirt, dirt cheap. You're talking about like a million or under a million for that. Like That's you all you want. You could replace him mid-season, no problem, if things go real south. That'll be a name where they'll sign him and then 80% of the replies to it will be saying, who? <laughs> who? What? Who? Yeah. And again, it could be him. It could be a half dozen other goalies exactly like him. But that was just the name that when I was perusing Cat Friendly, like, jumped at me. Yeah. Okay, uh, other Red Wings news. Philip Zadina is sustained an upper body injury playing over in the Czech Republic and is out for at least a few weeks, it seems. Shitty news. Uh, I don't know too much about the actual injury. I don't know if you guys do. That was all uh, I heard. Yeah, I didn't hear anything beyond that. I just, oh my God, can we not have anything nice? Yeah, apparently not. Um, it isn't ideal and that's the kind of thing you're worried about when players go over to europe or to play for not your team but that said uh the nhl is not really coming back until at least december or january so it's not going to eat into red wings timeline here you just hope that it's not any kind of serious injury there hasn't been any inclination of that quite yet so um that sucks to hear but uh in some good red wings news either red wings prospects or red wings potential prospects had a great uh weekend especially over in Sweden. I don't know, Brad, if you want to kick us off and talk about that. 
Yeah, so uh, I would say the most promising sign for Red Wings fans. Now, keep in mind, when we're talking about this, we're talking about mostly preseason and then one regular season game in the SHL. But Jonathan Bergeron started his regular season in the HL with a goal and an assist in uh, his season opener. So, again, that's in the SHL. That's the top league. This is very, very promising because this is his draft plus three year after coming off two major injuries the two previous seasons. So the fact that he's playing uh, in the top six in the SHL is a very good starting point. And the fact that in his first game he produced, fantastic. Couldn't have asked for a better start. So Berggren's looking dangerous, two points, despite only playing about 13 minutes. And in the same league, uh, Albert Johansson, our our smooth skating left-handed defenseman there, also started with a goal and an assist in his first SHL game. So, I mean, both these guys could be key cogs in the Red Wings future, and both of them started very, very well. Um, on Twitter, people were talking about it, and um, Yoki, who we had on the podcast very recently, was comparing Albert Johansson to uh, Nate Schmidt as a possible comparable for the way his direction's going. And boy, if you get a Nate Schmidt late in the second round, that's a home run. Yeah, those are two prospects where they've had kind of different trajectories so far. So Johansson, those will remember when he was drafted, it was kind of a little bit, not a head scratcher, but we were kind of like, mm, seems a little early. But then uh, Hakan Anderson and, and some other scouts were talking about him as potentially the steal of that crop of defensemen. Um, and so people have kind of been watching him pretty earnest, earnestly because of that. And even including or even before last weekend his his progression and development up until now has been uh really really impressive so yeah that's a comparison you love to see and, and you hope that continues because he's he's left-handed he's on the left side right Correct, answer, i should yeah. say yeah yeah <laughs> left right um and that's huge for detroit because you look at where their strength is on defense right now and i use that term pretty loosely you have heronic and most side are on the right side um Let's say they go crazy and take Drysdale this year. There's another defenseman on the right side. Uh, that left side needs to shore up. So you need guys like Johansson and McIsaac to, to turn out. Um, Berggren, on the other hand, with some devastating injuries, a lot of time missed in formative years of hockey. This has to be, has to, has to, has to be his best year of development ever for him to project how he was. Cause when he was drafted, that was a first round talent that Detroit got in the second round, right? Like we were talking about him as if, uh, if when Detroit took him, when Detroit took Valeno, we would have been happy if they took Berggren then. So it's a, it's definitely a, a weekend of good news on that front. I still just like reminiscing about the 2018 draft in the immediate aftermath where the Red Wings drafted four players I had ranked in my first round. <laughs> yeah, that was a nice oh, one. Those were happier times. That is great news for the Red Wings. Um, the Lucas Raymond rise continues. Like, Okay, before anybody says anything, we know small sample size and know what he's doing right now isn't going to dramatically change anybody's opinion of what Lucas Raymond is. This isn't going to dramatically change how the Red Wings view Lucas Raymond. His incredibly good preseason and hot start to the regular season is going to either confirm or deny some suspicions they had about them. So this is going to be, if they already thought Lucas Raymond was a great player and they were torn, like let's say they were 50-50 between him and another prospect, this would tip them towards him because he's just confirming everything 
positive people thought about him. Um, if they were maybe a little lower on him, maybe now they're having more of a conversation about it. I mean, nobody's going from ranking Lucas Raymond 10th overall to third because of the last three weeks. But he might jump up to four, from four to three on some team sports. He might jump up from six to four. I mean, again, if the Red Wings were dead split on Perfetti and Raymond, because we've heard both of them linked to the Red Wings at four, this could be the tiebreaker. The fact that the Red Wings are seeing him do it. He's doing it in a lot of ways. He's, you know, in a league against men. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is the confirmation we needed. He's our guy. I don't know if it's been enough for Ottawa to take him third. I really don't see him getting past five, though. Like, I know there's been conversations about him slipping even beyond that, but I really, really don't see him getting past five. And we knew this would happen. The moment the schedule shook out and we realized the SHL would have like nine or 10 games before the draft, we knew this would happen because Raymond's biggest issue was underexposure last season. It doesn't make me like, I, I don't want to sit here and say, I told you so, because I know the moment we put that on the record, we're going to get burned and Raymond will be a bust and, you know, Perfetti or Sanderson is going to be like the best player out of the draft. That's not Lafreniere, but still. It is nice that it's a little bit more validating because it felt for a while that when you talked about Raymond and saying, yeah, he might have the most talent out of the draft outside of the top three. A lot of people were like, really? Because I don't see that at all. Like, I don't see how you want him over Rossi. I don't see how you want him over Perfetti. So it's nice to kind of exp have a little bit of more exposure on that end for uh, the fans to see the broad options for the Red Wings in this draft. Um, as Brad, <laughs> Brad, whenever you like, look up and look away i'm like i'm always expecting someone to like drop out of the ceiling and then like <laughs> a light fall through the floor <laughs> meek has done crazier things honestly i've got a vent on this side that she could probably shimmy through if she pulled the uh the grate up but no, i don't know i just heard something like fall upstairs but nobody's on the floor above me and both kids are sleeping so i i get deeply confused when i hear noises when we're recording now hank needs to stop dropping the weights when he's deadlifting. Yeah, honestly, kid's too strong for his own good already. Hank curls in a squat rack. My son yeah, would. No never. one can. No one can say no because he's the biggest guy in the gym. No. He gives Brad piggybacks when Brad uh, when Brad gets tired. Honestly, why else have kids? <laughs> to mow your lawn? Yeah, Is he doing that yet? The only other one I can think of. Yeah, while giving me a piggyback. <laughs> Someone's got to point out the spots he missed, and I'm not doing that from the porch. All right, uh, this episode's prospect profile. So we are running through every single possible or at least halfway likely uh, Red Wings fourth overall pick. Um, and this is one that we've covered before in terms of a prospect profile, but not with the deeper analysis and the context of uh, this is a guy you might reasonably expect to hear Steve Eisenman call out at fourth overall. So we'll talk a little bit about likelihood. We'll talk about what where he fits in the system. Um, some of it will be an overlap, but still that's okay because he's an exciting prospect, none other than defenseman Jamie Drysdale. In my opinion, the best defenseman in the draft. Uh, there are some who will advocate for primarily Jake Sanderson, but nonetheless, you guys know who Jamie Drysdale is. Brad, take us away. So we've talked recently in our prospect profile about what Jamie Drysdale is. So a quick recap for those of you who missed that episode. High skill, high offense, all around, 
terrific defenseman, slightly undersized, right-handed shooting, right D, close to a point per game in the OHL this year. Fantastic skater, fantastic transition defenseman, still strong defensively and still strong offensively. The complete package, the only question with him is what is his ultimate upside? Because it's is, is he going to be... Eric Carlson, is he going to be Drew Doughty? Is he going to be Jeff Petrie? We don't know yet. All great options and and a very, very likely candidate to be good and not bust. But we don't know. But again, without beating that dead horse, what would Jamie Drysdale mean if he gets drafted by the Red Wings? Because this is the most fascinating discussion in terms of organizational need in terms of this draft because i would argue the red wings uh depth in on the roster and in prospects sucks everywhere but right d because currently on the projected opening lineup for next year you're gonna have uh heronic cider bowie biega for right-handed shooting defenseman's options. Say what you want about Piega or Bowie, but whatever. It's one, they're short-term and they can fit in on the right side for now. Drysdale wouldn't play next year. Then in the system beyond that, you also have anti-Tuomisto. So if you're big on Tuomisto, and obviously we're big on Cider and Heronic, there's your right side for the next half decade to decade. It's pretty set in. Adding Drysdale to that's not necessarily a bad thing. You want competition, you want flexibility because there's no guarantee Cider or Tuomisto pan out the way their per um, their production and, and their growth has gone since they've been drafted in the year since they've been drafted. It's promising. It's positive. I don't think anybody's betting against them yet, but you never know. So Drysdale adds another layer of insurance to that. The Red Wings did tinker with Philip Peronik on the left side uh, during this season as well. Don't know that I love that, but that's always an option as well. Um, defensemen don't have to be married to their strong side, even though it is a, a heavy advantage to do it. It's as much as I love Drysdale and as much as I love his offensive upside more than every other defenseman in the Red Wings system currently, it would be kind of hard to stomach that pick knowing that literally every other position is a much bigger need right now. They're not looking stacked at left wing. They're not looking stacked at center. They're not looking stacked at right wing. They're not looking stacked at lefty. And they're not looking stacked at net. Not that I'm advocating to pick Askroff, just saying. The only other position you could argue might be a position of strength for them would be left wing. But none of the guys we're really considering here are left wingers, if you believe Cole Perfetti's a center. So it's... It's fascinating. It's interesting. If they truly believe far and away he's the best player available at number four, they absolutely should take him. But if there's a debate or if there's a tie, I don't think it should go to him. All right. Drysdale, the player. Like you said, Brad, we've covered him before. The reason he stands out for me is because his skating is like cerebral. And as someone who's had to eat shit every time I watch Quinn Hughes play hockey because he was not my first or second favorite pick uh, for Detroit that year. Did you notice Evan's face when you said, as someone who? Because he definitely thought you were going somewhere else with that (laughs) statement. I got my bingo dabber out. (laughs) 
you watch what makes Quinn Hughes able to overcome any kind of deficiencies that people projected that he has besides, you know, elite skill, the way he skates is up there and Drysdale has that in spades. I believe this guy is the best defenseman in the draft. I believe his offensive ability, his transition game, the way he's able to kind of quarterback the play either on the power play or just entering the offensive zone or working the blue line, phenomenal. That's what sets him apart. I don't think he's bad defensively. I don't think he's a phenomenal defender, but um, you look at a guy you want in your first pairing, that's kind of the way it shakes out in the modern NHL. More to what Brad said, he fits into that sanderson category for me like taking drysdale is almost like an implicit yeah we took cider last year but he might not be a first pairing defenseman and do you do that do you like because not both of those guys are going to play on the top pairing or one of them's gonna have to flip to their weak side and and as you've alluded to it's not always they can't always do that it doesn't always shake out that way not saying they can't but you draft a guy at that level, at that, you know, fourth overall or possibly a top three pick in terms of talent, you want to play them at their position of strength. So do you take a right-handed defenseman when you just did it? Same question I have with Sanderson. Do you take a defenseman with the same mold aside or when you just did that in the face of all that other need? That's my thing. I like Jamie Drysdale. I think he'll be a fantastic defenseman. And are we getting too galaxy brain by saying, no, the, the puzzle has to be built with these pieces in this specific order? Or do we say, yeah, we just took Cider. Doesn't mean another good right-handed defenseman can't exist. And if we think he's the best player, we'll take him. And then in five years, we'll figure out if this conversation is even still relevant. I don't know. I don't envy Steve Eisman. So two things. I'm still a big believer in the philosophy of you take the best player on your board. If you truly believe Jamie Drysdale is the best player there, when you are drafting, you take him. Positional need be damned. I don't care if they have nine right-handed shooting defensemen in the system. If he is truly the best, you take him. But let's assume, in a and this draft is a great example of this, where there's legitimately six guys that could go in this number four spot and talent wise there is not a huge gap between them so Detroit could very reasonably find themselves in a spot where they're like okay we can actually pick our poison here in terms of positioning and we love to tout what Steve Eisenman's done in Tampa Bay so it's worth looking at how Tampa Bay is constructed now not all their players came via the draft, et cetera, et cetera. But the current roster that they're lining, that they're throwing out there in the cup finals, almost every single one of their defensemen was taken in the first round and zero of their forwards were taken in the first round. The only first round forward they would have had he not been injured is Steven Stamkos. So if Eisenman truly believes, and this draft might be a perfect example of it, that he's going to get good offensive talent in the second round and the later rounds, yeah, we're going to get our defenseman now and we'll swing for some, a bunch of forwards later. That that's possible. That this is how Tampa is constructed. I mean, they didn't draft Sergeyev, but they gave up one of their first round picks to acquire a first round defenseman. They didn't draft Ryan McDonough, but they gave up a first round forward and Brett Howden as part of a package to get Ryan McDonough. So even if you say they didn't draft these defensemen, first overall, they gave up first round picks for these defensemen. So in a circular way, it still adds up. They got lucky and, and there's no way around it. They got lucky that Kucherov and Point fell to where they got them. And the Red Wings absolutely cannot bank on that because in the like looking back at it, hindsight 2020, those guys should have never 
went to the second and third round because sometimes guys just progress out of nowhere and randomly get a lot better. Tyler Bertuzzi is a great example of that. These guys were among the top producers in their draft years. They just had Kucherov had the Russian factor and point had the skating factor, but they were producing. So hindsight 2020, it was dumb. They fell, but look at the rest. Yanni Gord undrafted free agent. Andre Palat was a fifth or a sixth round pick. Uh, Tyler Johnson was undrafted. I mean, they they found a lot of value outside of the first round, even beyond Kucherov and Point. I don't know if I love this theory, but it worked in Tampa. History has shown you're, it's easier to project forwards in the first round than it is defensemen. Okay, so what does Eisenman believe here? Now, in his very short history with the Red Wings, he drafted defensemen with three of his first four picks last year. What does that mean for this draft? Absolutely nothing, because you can read into it both ways. Oh, they got their defensemen last year. They don't need to worry about Drysdale this year. Or they really value defensemen. They're going to value him again this year. So Drysdale's the ultimate wild card, and the way Eisenman's conducted business doesn't make you think that Drysdale's out of the question. Evan, are uh, any words left for you here or have they been robbed from you again? I think there's like three words left on the final page <laughs> of the thesaurus that I could potentially add. But I think you're all in the in the right thinking that Drysdale's uh, a potential target. Why wouldn't he be? You watch him play and you get you see shades of some of the top defense, young defensemen in the league right now. And to have one of those in Detroit would be awesome. But uh, it, I think a forward is what is needed right now because we really need someone to, to really drive the offense. Not saying Drysdale wouldn't, but we need a forward who's going to be doing that. Yeah, the, the thing here is that a, like this is a mixture because of the actual circumstance and the fact that we've had a billion years to think about this draft. But there are so many possible avenues that all lead to good to great to perfect options for the Red Wings. And busts, of course. But like Brad said, six or seven players here and the margin between them is so, so thin. You can, pres- you, you can prescribe to the theory that, yeah, of course, you'd want a forward here, but if you believe this defenseman is the best, then you deal with the forwards later or you go with what Evan just said, which is that, yeah, that top defenseman would be nice, but you don't have any support talent or any true superstar talent and you'd rather go for that. It's a tough decision and there's so much future projection in it. And all I keep thinking about every single time I, I start to rank and analyze and, and project the draft is that I do not envy Steve Eisenman. It's good for us as as fans and as talking heads because there's a lot of avenues where I'm happy here. And I think that's something that uh, comes from the fact that we were broken by the cider pick last year because that came so far out of left field. But it also adds a layer of complexity because like you never want – you don't want to be the team that misses out on Quinn Hughes and you certainly don't want to be the team that misses out on Quinn Hughes twice, right? So you try to learn from that and say, what did I do wrong where I missed such an obviously good pick? But if you miss a Quinn Hughes and end up with an Elias Pettersson, you're not devastated. Yeah, and the cruel fact of that is, is Jim Benning got both of them. So there's yeah. the hockey gods for you. But could Lucas Raymond be Elias Pettersson? Maybe. 
not betting on it, but maybe nobody was betting on Elias Pettersson to be Elias Pettersson when he was picked or else he would have went first and he went fifth. Well, so the story goes know. is that the Red Wings bet on Elias Pettersson being Elias Pettersson. I think in our mock draft, we had him falling to nine that year and I'm crushed now. <laughs> I think we, I think we've grown a lot because we did a lot of hopeful mock drafts. A lot yeah, of stuff. Now, we're like, like, now we, we do our mock drafts like, okay, we have to do this. How are the teams ahead of us going to absolutely screw us? <laughs> now, just a small thought as we're getting so far into the weeds and all these prospects and Drysdale again, a, a thought I had, what the hell would this podcast have been for the last two and a half months if we won the draft lottery? Uh, like, like, really, what would we have done? analyzing every player ranked 20 and later and pretty much assigning the same kind of hype to them <laughs> at pick 32 as we are at pick four we we literally would have had episode breakdowns based on lafreniere's skill set and today we are covering alexi lafreniere's backhand like that but unironically it's either that or like <laughs> Emil Andre, here's his uh, here's his fourth game of the preseason and his twelve year old year <laughs> playing AAA hockey. Like that's that's the level we would have gotten to. We would have given Evan uh, a lot more leeway for golf, you a lot more leeway for Josh Allen, and me a lot more leeway for just like empty whining into the void. That says a lot, eh? Like those are our three habits: golf, the Buffalo Bills, and and whining. I wouldn't. I I can't lie. I'm looking up uh, the U.S. Open statistics right now. You watched it, yeah. But I wanted to know who was leading in driving distance this week, and it was actually kind of surprising. There was a Canadian ranked third. You, uh, uh, Taylor Pendrith. Taylor Pendrith. Never heard of him. Does he shoot? Does he uh, shoot right? Hit right? What do you say in golf? Swing right? Left? Yeah, it's the same as hockey. Swing. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, sorry. Right. You know, you say swing. I guess shoot oh, works too. I've heard, I've heard them use shoot, but that's all my hockey buddies who say that. So maybe that's not the best example. Anyways, upcoming prospect profiles. We have Stutzla, Perfetti, and Raymond. Uh, we're not going to tell you the order because we kind of figure it out as we go as well. We're trying to get some uh, some other conversations in there as well without spoiling too much. So that's what you can look forward to. And then, of course, our final draft rankings and our final uh, mock draft Final mock draft, draft rankings, and then full draft preview before the big day. So look forward to that. And then for now, any other news before we head into overtime? Uh, Senators went back to their 2D logo. I thought everyone knew that. Well, yeah, that's been rumored for a while. I'm so happy they did because yeah. I got tired of looking at those abominations six games a year. Okay, we will uh, start off. Overtime, which uh, is going to kick off with our Patreon supporters. Everyone who supports us on Patreon gets their comment read out uh, during the overtime segment. And that's a way of saying thank you. Whether we are talking about Lafreniere's, you know, backhand or a full rundown on every uh, fourth overall pick leading up to the draft, every possible fourth overall pick, uh, the patrons are the reason we're able to do that. So thank you, guys. First comment from Ben Shapiro reading WAP for an hour. <laughs> Says, uh, Bergen looks good. Johansson too. Disappointed you guys didn't do a video on your last episode. Wanted to see Brad laugh his ass off. Yeah, Evan's fancy um, mega computer wasn't actually able to hit record on the episode, which made it a little bit difficult. So apologies for that. 
we actually don't have a guarantee that this episode that we're talking about right now doesn't have the same thing. We only found out at the end, so. It's still recording. I just looked. Between your uh, US Open stats, you've got us covered, Evan. Yep. Dylan Krill says, hey, guys, build the perfect prospect using traits from prospects in this draft. For example, Stutzler's agility, byfield size, and use the following traits. Okay, well, so we'll go one by one here. Hockey sense. Hockey sense? Lafreniere. Playmaking. Ooh, playmaking. That one's Perfetti. I was going to say Perfetti Drysdale or wouldn't be a bad one in there. Raymond either. Shooting is Holtz. Holtz, definitely. Stick handling. Perfetti might have been a nice one for that as well. Raymond. Perfetti or Raymond there for me. Yeah. I could... Speed Stutzla. Yep. Agility. Raymond. Drysdale. Raymond? Raymond. Size Byfield. Yeah, obviously. Defensive awareness Rossi. Outside shot Sanderson. San I was gonna go Sanderson there. Yeah, if you want to go true defenseman, Sanderson. Uh Nick Hill says, uh, hey guys, or hey all, I've been too busy to watch hockey lately. Who knew a master's program takes up a lot of your time? Dallas is three wins away from winning the cup, just as we expected. Do you see this as a sign that the Red Wings would be better off building from the defense out? And is Drysdale a better defenseman than Raymond Rossi are forwards? Thanks, guys. So that second question. I would say no, or else I would have Drysdale ranked higher than that. Um, yeah, and if if you're looking at what the Red Wings have done so far, I would argue they are building from the back end out. Our defense, our offensive prospects outside of Valeno and... Bergeron leave a lot to be desired and Bergeron's still a huge risk, but I think we're all pretty happy to this point with Cider, Tuomisto, McIsaac, and Johansson. So I'm going to call it a dead heat because I, I can't discount the fact that I might have bias against Drysdale just because I'm not looking ideally for a defenseman in this draft. I think the world of Drysdale, I don't think he's like a, a Heiskanen level defenseman, but I think he perfectly well could be. I can't say for sure that he's not a better defenseman than Rossi as a forward. I'd probably put Raymond pretty comfortably ahead, but it's close. Joe Caboose119Z Falzone says, I keep flipping between Raymond and Perfetti. Send help. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know when we figure it out, man. Yeah, the you and the rest of the fan base. Rossi too. And every once in a while, I think any of them could be better than Stutzler or Byfield. Where do you put the ceilings and floors for Tuomisto? Uh, second pairing, first power play QB. And Ceiling. the floor is not in the NHL. Yeah. McIsaac, I have... Number four, shut down D. Floor not in the NHL. And Johansson is... Number three, two-way defenseman. Uh, And then Brad did a little bit of conversation there about stylistic comparisons in terms of players. I'm not really sure who uh, to compare them to. Uh, I love, uh, I'd never thought of it before Yoki pointed out, but I love the Nate Schmidt comparison for Johansson. Uh, Jared McIsaac. He's a little tougher because I don't pay super close attention to teams, middle pair defensive defensemen. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, who's who's your sound defenseman that you don't hear a lot from? 
Like every team has one and we can't remember who they are. <laughs> Patrick Lambeth. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, actually. I, I Chris, like McIsaac's offensive upside a little bit more than that, but yeah. Chris B says same thing as last show. Who would you have rather have right now? Kot Kinami or Hayton? Kot Kinami. I'd probably say Kot Kinami as well. Sanderson or Broberg? Sanderson. I'll go Sanderson here as well. Evan's nodding yes. for those of you who can't. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, Fed- apparently no one listens to our, our, just our voice versions. Everyone watches the YouTube one, so I just <laughs> nod now. Oh, well, we're past it. We're almost at 1030. So sassy Evan has come out. It's past yes. my bedtime. <laughs> it's way past my bedtime. Perfetti or Zegras? Perfetti. I, I like know. this. I like this draft a lot more than I liked last year's draft. And I have Perfetti on my rankings right where I had Zegras on mine last year. So, And there's a chance Perfetti sticks at center. Yeah. I just that like Perfetti's talent more. That could be the breaker right there. Although there's not nothing to say Zegras couldn't. Zegras, yeah. Zegras has more is more likely to pay center than Perfetti in my mind, but I just like Perfetti but he's a, better as a player. Perfetti understanding there's more risk. Uh Raymond or Zegras? Raymond. I also yeah. have Raymond there. Hishir or Suzuki. I have Nico Hishir. I think people sleep on him a little bit. <sighs> I like Suzuki. I'm torn. I'm going to go Heesher just because he's proven more at the NHL. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Heesher. And Johansson or Tuomisto? <clears throat> Johansson because left side. Johansson because shown more at a higher level. Um, okay, Charlie Sidleric says Dallas played a great game Saturday night, and while I didn't see them making it past Colorado, here they are. I still think Tampa will win the cup if they lose to Dallas. Do you guys think something in Tampa organization will change drastically? Seemed like last year was the year and Columbus swept them. Yeah, I do agree. I think well, I mean, because of the cap and because of they need to change something, something will change there. I'm gonna say no. Um, they've made the conference finals for this last six years and they've run into like a fluky injury to a superstar every single one. So I, I still maintain a healthy Tampa is the cup favorite every year until otherwise noted. Liz B says in my head, I knew Howard probably wouldn't be back, but then to see uh, that he now actually said he won't be makes me sad. He should have won the Calder Trophy in 2010, and no one will ever be able to change my mind. But his play in March that year was 90% of the reason Detroit made it to the playoffs. Someone will sign him as a backup, and I hope whoever does is one that might actually win a cup next season. Edmonton can maybe win next season, right? Aw. Maybe. You must be new around here. <laughs> no, I mean, you can never discount a team with Connor McDavid, but a lot would have to change in Edmonton. The towering behemoth Leviathan says, so with Red Wings entering a new Swedish era, who do you rank as the best Swedish goalie prospect? The Griffins, Philip Larson, Fardiestads, Jesper, Jesper Eliasson, or Victor Bratstrom of Cuckoo in the Finnish Liga? I say Bratstrom has the edge right now, but he is also the oldest at 23. Also, I don't know this for a fact. I just know it, it is true. Uh, 
I don't know this for a fact, but I just know it. It is true. If Evan used his fortune to buy an NFL franchise, it'd be called the 69ers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is boy. a fact. Um, and for the question, I'm going to still go Philip Larson. He's the most talented as long as he can stay healthy, which he hasn't been able to do yet. So he's still a big question mark, but he still has the most talent. Also noted uh, that speaking of Swedish goalie prospects, Red Wings should draft Callie Klang. Really good prospect with the most goalie name ever. The Caminator says, this question is mostly for Brad because I know how much of a passion he has for landscaping but can be answered by all three. As a recent home buyer, I need to reseed much of my lawn. Is it a better idea to reseed the lawn at the end of the season right now, like fall time, or at the start of the summer? Thanks and go for, for Lunda. You should do it at both. You should dig it up and get rid of it. <laughs> Just landscape the whole thing and not see, not have grass. Uh, here's what you do. You dig it up. You make it flat. You put skatable tiles on it and you turn it into a mini hockey rink. If I had my way, that's what my front yard would be. What you really do is you dig it up, make it flat, and then put a putting green down. Another great option. I think what Evan said, which is do both. Like It, it can't hurt to seed in the fall, right? I just don't think... It seems like we're getting a little bit of an early frost this year, so I'm not sure if anything will take. But on the off chance you can get stuff to root, it it won't hurt, and then you just do it again in the spring. I can confirm the early frost because as I've been going to the gym earlier and earlier every day, it seems, I wear my workout gear to the gym and then bring my work clothes in my gym bag. So, you know, I can just walk in, throw my bag in a locker, and go start working out. Um I didn't realize how rapidly it would get cold. So a few days ago, I was outside scraping frost off the windshield of my car in t-shirt and shorts. So yeah, it's it's here. I got an email from the golf course yesterday that there was a frost delay. That's how I knew it was cold. John Evans says, hello, gentlemen. Greetings from Ohio. Say it ain't so about Howard. I was really hoping they'd bring him back for another year, but according to Freege, it isn't going to happen. Guy spends his whole career in Detroit. They shouldn't let him go out on a two-win season. Plus, what are we really going to accomplish with the replacement? Another two or three wins and ultimately the same spot in the standings? I'm sure he'll get a PTO somewhere, but it just sucks. Anyways, keep up the great work. Haroon Khan says, my God, Matt Patricia is so inept. This might be a reach, but seeing Howard's announcement and then seeing Stafford play play for the Lions made me feel so bad today. Zadina injured too. Who cursed the city? It was a, today was a bad Detroit day. I'll, who I'll who sold your soul for the 08 Cup? Because that's when it all started going downhill. You did this. We didn't need to. We bought all those good players. <laughs> the soul wasn't necessary. <laughs> we had a Lidstrom. <laughs> Uh, Sam W says, uh, Hey guys, love the show. Uh, this may be coming in a tad late, but I'll ask anyways, after watching Elias Pettersson sort of torch the SHL in his draft plus one year, having played in the all Svenskin the year prior, how much upside can we reasonably project for the group of Swedes that played SHL minutes this year leading up to the NHL draft? It is the SHL is an easier barometer, right? Like it's not an unknown league, like the DEL where cider came out of like, it's one of the best leagues in hockey. So you can more comfortably draw those comparisons in terms of how much upside can we reasonably project? Like I think Lucas Raymond could be a superstar. Maybe not like top five winger in the league, but I I think his ceiling is, isn't isn't terribly far off from that. I think his ceiling is Mitch Marner. So for whatever that's worth to you, um, 
The SHL and league are, when you look at the high-end sub-20 players, like under-20 players who have torched that league, the translation rate is very high. It's very, I'm not going to say easy to project, but you can comfortably project um, prospects out of those two leagues. Again, U20, there's like 22-year-olds who torch those leagues and never come over, which it happens. But if Lucas Raymond, in his 18-year-old year, is a point-per-game player in the SHL, yeah, he's he's gonna torch the NHL. Um. Okay. Next question here is from Chris Smith, who says, "Now that Gardy has retired from the Tigers, I think it's safe to crown Jeff Blashill as the best coach in Detroit. If we can manage to get sixty-five points next year, that should be enough giving uh, to give the Wings the best winning percentage of every Detroit team. Hell yeah, that is depressing beyond anything else that's been depressing today. Thank you, Chris." And I hate it. Uh, Michael Barry says, let's say we play the role of the Leafs in the trade involving Robin Lehner this offseason. What would be your price for 3.5 mil in cap retained for one year? A third round pick? I would try to up that just because of the cap scarcity scarcity this year. If so, it's a tricky quint quest. No, I can't talk. It's too late. It's a tricky question to answer directly because the rest of the circumstance. So if we swung and missed on every other bad contract, like if we couldn't get Louis Erickson, if we couldn't get Alex Klorn, if we couldn't get Kyle Turris, if we couldn't get one of these bad contracts for anything better, I would comfortably settle for a third or a fourth round pick to retain 3.5 for one year, like in a vacuum. And we're not using that cap space for anything else. Great. Literally any pick would be fine for that. Um, I think a third or fourth would be fair. That being said, if you are eyeballing bigger fish to get first and second round picks or better prospects, yeah, you don't want to eat up three million and change from your cap hit for a third or fourth round pick. So circumstance would matter heavily on that for me. Uh, this next question is my least favorite one of the day. It's from Evan Pardo. He says, donating my time to Brad so we can talk about the Bills and Josh Allen. Brad, I'll give you like 10, 15 seconds. You get 15 seconds. This is the happiest I've ever been as a football fan. And it's two games into the season. This is what it's like to be a Buffalo Bills fan. Well, this and the most happy I've been. And your Bills? 15 seconds is up. The next question is from Baltimore Cincy two years ago, three years ago finger gun stars brad fan finger st- gun stars fan brad one and oh says good day dud duds it's me again lifelong stars fan and finger guns advocate rob cop show pretty fun game one as my favorite player and my idol in life Corey perry is only three wins away from another cup which i'm sure everyone loves in an ongoing effort to be annoying my 12-month crusade about lucas raymond will continue as he continues to do the hashtag good things in sweden can you imagine how unbearable i'm going to be about this guy over the next few years regardless of where he's drafted actually yes i'm sure you can you've listened to me before i'd recommend muting my mic and just editing the talkie show (laughs) jersey time sadly the coyotes have been relocated to houston give us their jersey colors slash scheme and a franchise name oh that's fun Houston Oilers. No, I'm kidding. Um, Houston Arrows is the popular one. Well, nostalgia always plays, right? I'm going to go with the Houston garbage cans, and they will just use the Astros colors. 
potential Houston NHL team names. Uh, Comets, Bulls, Giants. Those are both terrible. Comets works because uh, the NASA theme. Yeah, I would probably go with like a NASA sort of theme if I was going hockey to Houston, which is probably why arrows worked. The Houston Columbus Blue Jackets. The Houston Platinum Knights. Houston Apollos is sweet. I love Houston Apollos. I like that one. The Houston Cosmonauts. The Houston Cosmonauts. Houston Apollo, and you use a deep purple as one of your primary colors. Oh, man, you got to be black, like deep purple and black if you're doing the Houston Apollos. What about the Houston, the moon landing was fake? Oh, man, we just got to put in some sort of weird playlist on YouTube now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm getting the conspiracy theory. We're on the Zeet guys playlist now. The Houston Flat Earths. All right. When you're a Lions fan and you watch the Lions, you're going to cut that one off early. Tie off a Stay Fresh cheese bag over your head and let the sweet, sweet release of death save you from watching them in week three. Stay Fresh cheese bags, a Fournier company and a guarantee to make it stop or your money back. Speaking of which, Joseph Fournier says, Stay Fresh cheese bags, the official cheese bag of slow, sweet surrender into the everlasting void after another Lions loss. Can you guys see a theme in these comments? Proof that if there is a God, he hates us and has forsaken us. Stay fresh, cheese bags of Fournier Company. I went back to watching prospect reels of Rossi, Perfetti, and Raymond. Look at this. What a time to be alive. We're about to get one of these fellas or one of a myriad of other options. But after watching the reels, I'm still on the Marco Rossi train. Update. My younger brother is a 36-year-old associate city manager of Ann Arbor and has doubled down on his Tyler Bertuzzi claim. Okay. Look. I like Tyler Bertuzzi a lot, and I love the city of Ann Arbor. Is your brother okay? Is this a cry for help? So, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Is Tyler Bertuzzi the best skater on this team? No, probably not in the top half. Does he have the best shot on this team? No, probably not in the top half. Does he have the best hands on this team? No, but he might actually be in the top three on that one. Um... He may have the claim for the best net front guy on the team. Rasmussen might have something to say about that soon. Uh, Does he have the highest hockey IQ on this team? No, but he might actually be in the top three on that one. When you're over on all of that stuff, it's uh, you're not the best player on the team. And you're not the most skilled player on the team. That's the way it works. His skill relative, his skill to tooth ratio is probably the highest on the team, but still. Cnod says, "Hey, you can knuckles." Evans' response to the boat question made me think uh, y'all would appreciate this joke. Uh, American, hey, do you want to watch uh, the Titanic? Canadian, what's it? What's that about? American, yeah, it was a huge one that sank. Oh, I get that. <laughs> oh, boo! Because we say a boot instead of a boat. Did I say it twice there? About, about? I don't know. A boot? I don't know. I don't think it's too heavy. I think people from further up say it. Evan, say about. They say it like about. Yeah. They say a boot. A boot. I never, we never say like a boot. I think you have to go a little further north to find that, but I, I think like, it's there. Maritimers don't even say it a boot. Like, I don't know where that comes from. Like, Maritimers say a lot of things differently, and that's where more of your stereotypical Canadian accent comes from but they don't even say it like that 
the moment you cross into Michigan, you find a lot more pronounced like a, a vowel sounds, like a lot of caffy, hacky. Oh, that's a little Boston. I don't know. I'm not good at this. Uh, so thanks for the pod. You guys are the best. Uh, thank you, C-Nods. And then James Phoenix says, hey, lads, all I will say to you is Jimmy Howard. Man single-handedly got us into the playoffs within the last decade. Um, and I hope his legacy isn't remembered for the last 12 months of his career with Detroit. Thank you, number 35. Extremely well said. All right. Time for a couple of Reddit questions. Coltron57 says, just wanted to say how happily surprised I was to hear a Gerald Mayu name drop last episode. Local born and Ferris State alum wouldn't mind Eisman acquiring him now that he's no longer waiver exempt if Minnesota has a roster crunch. Firmly believe he's someone who can score 15 to 20 in the bottom six role for whatever team gives him a chance to play. Uh, and Detroit doesn't exactly have an abundance of better options. Was that you who brought him up, Brad? Yes. Uh, we were oh, talking okay. about Minnesota's prospects. Uh, rational gesture says Holland has already said he's willing to trade down for more picks. We have more picks in the second and third rounds. And if Askarov is still available before Edmonton picks, do you see Eisman taking a shot at a franchise goalie? And what would you expect the cost to be? The cost would be very high. I don't think picks in this draft would get it done because Edmonton's picking what? 15, 14, 15, somewhere in there. Uh, so the picks from this draft, like the best asset Detroit, I, I don't think Detroit's next three picks, they could give them all three second rounders. I don't think that gets it done for number 15. And at that point, I think Detroit's better off just 14. making those. Yeah. And I, at that point, I think Detroit's just better off making those picks and taking a swing at uh, Nico Dawes or UL Blumquist, um, honestly, as much as I like Askarov. So I, I, I'm a firm believer if Detroit can trade up to get Askarov they should but he'd have to slip into the 20s before that becomes reasonable yeah and in terms of how likely it is like I, I know we joke a lot about how there's no way we'd want to take the risk on the goalie but the reality is the level of prospect Askarov is don't think that Eisenman and company aren't thinking about it and that it, they they might not do it he would be the potential answer net for a generation if he pans out that's the kind of goalie he's looking to be so definitely it's on the board uh Kakaroto says uh, the Coyotes are hanging on by a thread as a franchise. They're behind on rent uh, to Gila River uh, players and staff. They don't have a long-term arena deal. They're year-to-year in a rink that Gary Bettman hates. Their first pick for 2020 is in the fourth round, and they don't have a first or third in 2021. What are your thoughts on that team's future in Arizona going forward? We mentioned it the last couple episodes. Bleak. If if this were up to me, they would have been out of there years ago. This has never worked. This has literally never worked in Arizona, and they've been there since the 90s. It, it's cold, but this is an experiment that has failed for two decades, and I can't believe they're still trying to make it happen. How are they going to get a franchise or an ownership group to – group to pay though because they've been charging an insane amount of money for relocation and uh uh what's it called expansion fees was there a relocation fee as well for what i don't know but you move them to a location where it can't fail and that's where it gets tricky because i think the no-brainer if you want to make money is quebec city but arizona being a western team doesn't apply well there i think columbus would go down kicking and screaming if they try to boot him to the west Houston geographically makes the most sense, but I don't think anybody's going to sit here and say another team in Texas is going to be a surefire uh, hit. So depending on the fees, you never know. But yeah, I mean, 
Houston can't be worse than Arizona. Russell 18 says, so the lack of moves to this point seems to indicate Eisenman is waiting for teams to be a little bit more desperate before he pulls the trigger. What do you think needs to happen to kickstart his offseason moves? Uh, a team gets desperate for something else that doesn't relate to the Red Wings. So uh, there's been rumors linking Vegas to Alex Petrangelo, hypothetically. They do not have the cap space for Alex Petrangelo. They need to make a quick move to get Alex Petrangelo before he signs somewhere else. So they go, I shit, second round pick and take flurry, please. And that's what will kickstart it. And just to add on to that, the NHL draft is a great catalyst for that kind of thing. Yeah. Teams fall in love with players on their draft board. And when they fall, silly things start to happen. Like, look at the ransom Arizona gave Detroit just to get Jacob Chikrin and they took on an awful contract well a dead contract to do it so it draft is silly season this year might be different though because you won't have the face-to-face interactions that's that's the big i don't even know what to call it crux of it going the other way to prevent the chaos is because you won't have these meetings face-to-face every 10 minutes during the draft like this is still going to have to be picking up the phone and making things happen which happens all the time the draft changes nothing that other than well the draft boards are up so teams have players so i i don't know it's it's going to be weird okay with that we're going to wrap up this episode of the winged wheel podcast we will be back with you guys on wednesday night but for now we want to thank all of you guys for listening all of our patrons for supporting the show our name level sponsors that is arjun shanker terry greech jeremiah dobo jake kiefer ben shapiro reading wap for an hour andrew bohan scott martin jacob turner matt mckay craig kibble brandon m matthew m rice luke johnson kaylin wood hassam al Qasem, charlie elkins hana lee obir one kenobi Trevor Pevavar, Alex Ott, Ashley Van Conant, Chris Frank, Connor Leighton, Matthew Keeler, Simon Anderson, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Quaz, Stan Olson. Thank you all so much. I have to go buy a billboard related to Matt Patricia's employment. See you Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.